Hello everyone, this is Gabriel from the Libra Solutions Network. Today is the March 2023 recap. I am pleased to announce that the Tools of the Technocracy series is now fully voiced. This means that you can now listen to the entire article all the way through, including every article in the series. If you haven't had a chance to read the Tools of the Technocracy or listen through it all the way through, now is a good time to check it out. In addition to this, if you are subscribed to our website's RSS feed or your favorite podcasting app, you can listen to every new voiceover article through there. As an example, I will play just a segment of the social credit article. As technology advances, recent history has shown an ever-increasing centralization of power into You get the idea. The next announcement is that I have moved the previously Substack subscriber exclusive Reclaiming Territory in Cyberspace into a single post on my personal blog at Gabe.rocks. Link to the description, Reclaiming Territory in Cyberspace is all about understanding the technological landscape at a fundamental level to help guide decisions about decentralization. Lastly, certainly not least, I was excited to join Matthew Crawford and Liam Sturgis on the Rounding the Earth show. I will play a short segment to you, but I would highly recommend watching it the whole way through because any feedback you have would be appreciated. Um, well, uh, so I, just to try to bridge a couple of these topics, um, you didn't mention cryptocurrency or blockchain um, <laughs> or Bitcoin, but what? But it sounds like these things are fundamentally linked if not yes. technologically, then in, in premise. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so so Bitcoin is a perfect example. It itself is free software. You can download the software source code. You can edit the source code and run it however you like. However, there is a whole consensus algorithm, which is the whole point of Bitcoin. You are not going to just run Bitcoin as you know, with with you know your wallet set to a million bitcoins, you know you do have to stay with the rules of the system, and this is very similar to many of these other systems because Bitcoin, at its core, is an open protocol, and open protocols are the answer here. Whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Chat, whether it's whatever op crazy systems we want to design, but when it comes to how the crypto space overlaps with a lot of this, the the, the, the honest truth is. I personally feel like crypto has underestimated some of these problems when it comes to, you know, the three primary resources, storage, computing power and bandwidth, because you need a reason for people to run those nodes. And in my opinion, Bitcoin is probably Bitcoin and Monero are the only two that have actually answered that question. You know, I remember looking into some of the fancier uh, Ethereum spinoffs that have, you know, a lot of the smart contracts and smart contracts are excellent if you actually have value on the underlying asset, but when it's all just moving, you know, imaginary digits around, why not just use the US dollar? And so these three primary resources are important because somebody has to have a reason to run your nodes. If all the people running the nodes want to censor your transactions, they will. And there's really nothing that can stop them no matter what system you're using. Right, you, you need them to be adversarial with one another. Right. And, you need and Bitcoin to be acting as if they are not one unit and going back. And, and I was trying to I was spending a moment processing this. Um, and, and, you know, I, I want to slow down and hesitate here because I, I think that there is a lot for people to process. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to going to go all the way back from the existential conflict of interest. 
Um, for people who have studied economics, this is the this is kind of the equivalent of the Triffin paradox, the Triffin dilemma, which is where the the the, the nation that runs the reserve currency has a different interest in what happens with that currency than everyone else in the world. And that conflict of interest, um, you know, creates this adversarial relationship. And, and what shatters that, that conflict of interest, that conflict of interest that may dictate, you know, that, that snowballs into most or all of the wars of the world, really. Um, is, you know, it, it's that schism right there. It, it's, it's that difference between, you know, one ruler and then everybody else having to, you know, put up with whatever the policies are. And, and here you, you've distinguished, um, and, and this, is, this is so important. So let, let's do this slowly. Let's unpack this. You've distinguished Bitcoin from other digital currencies and in particular central bank digital currencies, because a lot of people lump all these together. And I think that that is intentional. I think it's, it's sort of, um, it, it, it was, it's probably a psyop to get people to not think of um, the, the, you know, to think of cryptocurrencies as the primary categorization, but you're stepping in and saying, no, look, you know, it, uh, this other, this other aspect is, is the primary distinction between the categorization. We can say, Hey, look, it's about being digital. That could be the attribute that we focus on, but you're saying no, it's the open protocol, right? And and from there, from there, you begin to more to be able to more clearly um, point to something like storage, you know, the the incentives over the storage system as being a crux in how it is that the system can operate on an economic basis. The link to the entire video will be in the show notes. I want to play this video for you of Michael Yeen warning about digital ID systems and how critical they are to totalitarian top-down control. I think it's no, there's no doubt in my mind that at the very least uh, the, the end game for what's going on is totalitarian control whereby in order to get about and to do anything you're going to need to show digital ID, mandatory digital ID at the moment, they're called vaccine passports, but I'm afraid avoiding vaccination ain't enough to get us out of this trap. So last night, I read that Iran, uh, country Iran, is the first country uh, that said it intends to bring about uh, a mandatory digital ID that you will have to show the uh, vendor as a baker in order to get subsidized bread, because bread has gone, price-wise, has gone through the roof. It's, it's the stable food of the poor people. You know, in Cairo, for example, and they said, right. look, we'll, we'll give you a discount, one discounted loaf per family per day, but the quid pro quo is you need to sign up for this digital ID. Once you've got a digital ID and they've said you can't buy this cheap bread without showing it, if they say next week you can't buy bread without showing it, or the week after you can't buy food without it, this literally changed the conditions. It's All it requires is a massive network and your digital ID beep, into the system and whatever your location uh, scores about you, maybe it's social credit scores, uh, could even be personal. And right. it could be in this context, this person may or may not purchase these items. Uh, and at that point, the machine, the Borg, so it's not going to be your government. It'll be um, um, a faceless multinational corporation will operate 
the database and the algorithms that determine your, whether you are permissioned to enter somewhere or leave somewhere, uh, whether you're able to buy or sell any particular thing at any moment. It's, that's the end of democracy, it's the end of freedom, and as I, we, Brian and I talked about at the beginning, uh, the, the economies of all the countries are being driven off the cliff like Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Exactly. All animals, legs that just don't look down, folks. Don't right, look down. right. Because that's, you know, if you, add, if you add digital currency to the toxic mix, so now you've got digi mandatory digital ID and only digital money, you know, if they don't like, if they took a dislike to me, for example, they could literally cancel me. I, I try and go into, you know, I don't know, Whole Food Market and buy something. Well, one, I might find I have to wave it at the door to get in and it might deny me entry uh, or it might not allow me to uh, acquire anything through the barcodes. And that's an excellent point. I don't think it can be emphasized enough that it is not merely the existence of these programs, but it is how they will be used to gate access to goods and services. The selling point isn't going to be the restriction, however. It is going to be all about convenience. TD Bank, up here in Canada, already has a promotion where if you sign up to the Verify.me digital ID system, they will give you an app that allows you to check your credit score. Handy feature, potentially. But the challenge is, once you opt into this, what terms that are subject to change at any time are you opting into? If you want to learn more about Verify.me, on their website, Verify.me are quite upfront about the fact that they are a digital ID company. What I want to bring to your attention is how they are tightly integrated with many different financial, governmental, and even telecommunication services. They have a partnership with TELUS for you know cell phone providers and many banks, as you can see up here, all the you know big five banks, as well as Desjardins, which is quite big in Quebec, and even Costco. The sad truth is, digital ID is not something that is a potential hypothetical. It is something that is already here. What we can only control moving forward is how we respond to the system as it is being built up. At the very least, we all need to demand that people have a right to be offline and are not required to opt into these systems for services or access to goods. On the transhumanist front, ICNI Bulletins has a lot of excellent resources. Spartacus has actually had an interesting experience where he used ChatGPT to basically discover papers that one would not be familiar with otherwise. The sad truth is that ChatGPT will hallucinate, as in make up, non-existent papers, but occasionally you can still get the names of real people who have published real things or real papers that do exist, and he has come up with a couple of troubling near-future developments. Personally, the thing that scares me the most about transhumanism is brain transparency. We have already seen what kind of censorship has been done with people, and it's quite troubling how they want to go move forward with censorship based off people's thoughts instead of merely their words. We could tell from EEG activity, but already using consumer wearable devices, these are headbands, uh, hats that have sensors that can pick up your brainwave activity, earbuds, 
headphones, tiny tattoos that you can wear behind your ear. We can pick up emotional states like are you happy or sad or angry. We can pick up and decode faces that you're seeing in your mind. Simple shapes, numbers, your PIN number to your bank account. It's not just your brain activity here that we can pick up. We can also pick up your brain activity in different places, like as your neurons fire from your brain down your arm and send signals to your hand to tell you how to type, move. All of that can be decoded through electromyography, and that's what you're seeing here is a device now in the form of a simple wearable watch that can pick up that activity. And in one of the pivotal acquisitions of the field, Meta acquired this company, Control Labs, in 2019 because major tech companies are investing in helping to make these devices universally applicable as the way in which we interact with the rest of our technology. 2019 is certainly an interesting year for big tech to get involved more tightly into brain transparency devices that can read all aspects of your mental state. The sad truth is, you as an individual person are likely not in tune with every aspect of how your body functions. I would highly recommend trying not to hand over raw biological data in addition to your own emotional and social data that one has farmed out over regular big tech services. The sad truth is, the reason they would want something like this is to control every single person on an individual level. And that may sound sci-fi and totally out of the norm, but the sad truth is, is that chronic stress has been weaponized against people. Whether you are somebody who marched lockstep with the COVID crisis agenda, or whether you are someone who stood in defiance of it, you are under high levels of chronic stress. I myself can report a lot of negative consequences of that chronic stress, and I think Gary Sharp has a lot of excellent context for understanding how chronic stress has fed into the COVID crisis and the weaponization of people's physical and emotional well-being. The sad truth is, they are already weaponizing people's bodies against them. The last thing we need to do is give governments and corporations more control over people's bodies. I want to play this video that is in this article that points out the downsides of this chronic stress. That likely sounds like everyone you've probably interacted with over the last little bit. Everybody has been put to their limit because that was the intended effect of the COVID operation among other goals. The fact of the matter is it is a lot easier to swindle people who are exhausted and at their emotional breaking point.
This is something I think everyone fundamentally needs to understand. It is not selfish to take care of yourself, and anything you can do to support yourself and others around you can go a long way in keeping all of us happy, healthy, and free.